0: for checking out the Relentless Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. So the series we're kicking off tonight is called? Crowd participation. Do it again. Strange. Awkward, apparently. Yeah, it's called Strange, and, and we're going to kind of play off of the story of Dr. Strange. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've got like this whole thing worth of notes um, typed up, really, really cool, in-depth stuff to say. And how Dr. Strange is kind of like us, and I'm going to skip a lot of that tonight, and we're going we're to maybe dig into it next week, because I'll, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, get us some direction, and then the band's going to come back up, and hopefully we can apply some of this, because um, there's a few things I feel like that we need to understand. Um, I feel like we need to understand, like, to get, to get a good grasp of what it is we're doing here, not here, like, in this room, but here, as in, like, this world, this life church in general, um, because I've, here's the couple of things I've noticed. I've noticed that there's, there tends to be some, some norms, some, some average common behaviors that we as, as church people, and whether that means something deep to you or something just like you're in church so you're church people, um, that we kind of have in common some, some preconceived ideas, some, some like conclusions we've drawn that I feel like set us up for failure. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. But it's all based off this idea that uh, of strange. Everybody say strange. Strange. All right. So if we are Christians, that means we are supposed to be like Christ. Good. So if we're supposed to be like Christ, we got to know a couple things about him. The most important thing that I feel like we're going to focus on over the next couple of weeks, but specifically tonight, and it will be on the screen, is that Jesus was strange. Everybody say Jesus was strange. Now, that's not sacrilegious. I'm not going to hell for saying that. I think he would admit, yeah, he was a little strange, but that's not a bad thing. When you read about Jesus, or if you've ever read the Bible, maybe you never have, Jesus does unusual weird things all the time. He went unusual places, places that culturally were not the norm were out of place for him. Uh, he, and he drifted. If you ever read the Bible about Jesus, it's kind of like he just drifts from place to place. Like he just, he's basically kind of like a homeless dude. Like he just wakes up one day and is like, I'm going to walk here. And he just goes here. And then later he kind of just walks around. He just kind of ambles. I feel like he's just that, like kind of a drifter. Uh, he did unusual things. One dude, he wanted his eyes healed. He was blind. And Jesus thought, you know how I'm going to heal this guy? I'm going to spit in his face. That's disgusting. I mean, I guess if I'm blind, I don't really care how I get my sight back, but that's pretty gross. If I'd be like, think about it. If you're like, you're blind and you're like, Jesus, heal my eyes. And all you hear is, I'd be a little worried. All right. I'm just going to say, I'd be a little worried. He did unusual things and he said unusual things. I mean, there are scriptures where Jesus says, if anybody does not hate their mother and father, they can't follow me. Like that seems weird, right? Like I like my mom and dad. Most of the time. And, and I don't want to, you know, hate them. Most of the time it was a joke. They're, my mom listens to this podcast and so she's going to be like, most of the time. It's totally a joke. I'm going to cut this part out. So yeah, she won't even hear that. Anyway, uh, he actually has a scripture where he says, if anyone does not eat my flesh and drink my blood, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's disgusting. I mean, there's some gross stuff. There's some weird stuff. Now, just without getting too far into it, he didn't mean literally, but I just want you to know that. He said some weird things. So at first glance, Jesus seems kind of like a homeless drifter like he's kind of a weird dude He spoke in mostly stories and riddles, which now we think is cool Like oh, he told parables that were like illustrations But at the time He was just kind of like that weird dude who drifted from place to place said things no one understood And was just there and they were like there were people that you know, obviously were healed and miracles and stuff like that But at the same time you're like is this dude sane like he was weird. He was strange It's okay to say that because i'm going to explain a little bit more Not only did he always speak in riddles, he constantly challenged the religious leaders, the people that were the church at the time. He was the guy who would come in and be like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Like, that seems kind of weird. What if Pastor Rusty's up on Sunday morning talking, and he's like, all right, so point number one, and somebody walks in and goes, that's wrong. Like, that would be weird, right? That's Now, I'm not saying Jesus, like, knocked in over the temple mid-sermon and was like, hey, y'all are all wrong, and I just want you to know it. And then, like, kind of backed out (laughs) dramatically. That's not what he did, but he did challenge the authority there. He could easily be classified as strange. And this is the guy that we're supposed to be like. It says Christians means Christ-like, so we're supposed to be like this guy. We're supposed to be a homeless drifter? no. But we are supposed to be like him in this very way. And it's on the screen. We are supposed to embrace. Everybody say embrace. Not each other. Hold up. Embrace the strange. Embrace the strange. Everybody say embrace the strange. Now mime like you're embracing something. Embrace the strange. Hug yourself, everybody. That might be the only hug you got today. Just hug yourself. Aw. Right? That was sad for somebody. That was really sad for somebody. See, here's the deal. When we choose to be Christians, when we choose to be Christ followers, we are choosing to be like him. And that means we are choosing to live a lifestyle that is strange, that's weird, that's unusual. Over the next couple of weeks uh, for this series, I want to focus on a few different aspects in which Jesus was strange and how it applies to us. Um, One of the scriptures that kind of stands out to me, and it's really the, the basis for this whole series, is in 1 Peter 2. Uh, verse 9 and 10, and it should be up on the screen. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God. You were chosen by God. Way to go, you. You were chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That's almost a spoken word in there. I read that scripture a couple weeks ago, and and I thought it was really good. And it really, it was funny to jump back out at me today. Now, one translation of that, go back one slide, Ruth. It says, uh, chosen to be a holy people. Right there, chosen to be a holy people. One translation says peculiar. You're chosen to be a c- peculiar people. Now, the writer Peter is not saying that you're weird. He's actually using a word that, that can be translated into chosen. But I always love that verse. I kind of wish that he meant weird because he, it kind of does mean that we have to be weird. We have to be a little bit strange And I want to kind of explain to you what I mean through that And then hopefully you'll get it So one of the problems I think that we have with, uh, with being Christians With church today Is that when we talk about being different from the world You know, have you ever heard anybody say You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be separate from the world We're supposed to live differently We're supposed to be, be called to a higher purpose We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world You ever heard those kind of things? Anybody? No, you don't have like a grandma that's super churchy that's ever said that? Now those aren't bad. They're not, they're not inherently wrong. The problem is, I feel like, in the way we interpret that, so we usually characterize the difference that they're talking about, that strangeness, incorrectly. See, when we say different, when we say, oh, we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world... We often model that or, or what it is that we, we are kind of saying is that we are not supposed to cuss or we're not supposed to drink or we're not supposed to smoke or we're supposed to go to church, own a Bible, sometimes pray over our food. And those are all like a collection of some of those or all of those behaviors. It's like, well, this is how we're different. If we sit down in a restaurant and, and our food's delivered and we hold hands and pray over our food, we feel like, well, we're standing up for what we believe. Look at us being different, you know? Or have you ever sat down to eat and somebody else next to you at the restaurant's praying over their food, and you're like, "Look at them go! They're doing it. Way to stand for Christ." Now, I'm not belittling that, but what I am saying is sometimes we see that. Or if, if you got, if you're that one friend, maybe you're, some of you I hope are, but some of you probably aren't. That one friend that when like you are in a group of friends at school and like you hit your knee on something, you're like, "Shoot!" And you you know you, you know what I'm talking about. The other friends are like, "Shoot!" Like. Who says shoot, right? None of y'all know what I'm talking about at all, I'm sure. Or hopefully you do. But, you know, and that's peculiar. And we think, look at us go. We didn't say the word we could have said. And so we're choosing to live different. Yay, Jesus. Right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, right? Or, or maybe you're hanging out with people that are doing some stuff they probably shouldn't be doing. You know, like, like maybe smoking some stuff they probably shouldn't be smoking. If you know what I'm talking about, shame on you. Get away from those places. But what I mean is maybe maybe, maybe some people are doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing, and you're like, you know what, I'll pass. And internally you're like, yay, Jesus, I just did that. Now, I don't want you to feel like I'm belittling that. I'm really not. I think, I think there are circumstances in which it does take a lot to stand, to take that stand, to say no to so not act like everybody else. I get that. It does take a lot of courage. The problem is we put the stop there and we go, yay, I'm living for Jesus. I'm a peculiar chosen people. And that's, that's it. We've defined now what Christianity is as I don't do a few things that most people do and I pray over my food or do a couple of things that make me seem a little bit unusual but are still kind of socially acceptable as Christians. Right? Are you with me so far? Say yes. Good, because I was going to keep going anyway. Often we feel like these are out there or strange, and if we can do these, then we're living up to what Jesus meant when he said that we're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be strange. The problem is those aren't the ways in which Jesus was strange. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching. He's talking to the people that are following him, and I'm going to read a different translation, but you'll see it on the screen. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, don't look for shortcuts to God. Oh wait. It'll be on the screen. I know the computer's slow. There it is. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for successful lives that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for all that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention vigorous and requires total attention. See, many people, including the religious leaders, the religious people at the time, did all that usual churchy behavior stuff, that kind of basic Christian behavior stuff. And they felt like, hey, well, I say the right things. I pray out loud in front of people. That means I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Yay me. And they did all that stuff. Jesus is saying that stuff is really not that important. If you have focused on that, you've kind of missed the focus. He's saying it's more than that. Because let's be honest, those things aren't that hard. Sometimes I understand they can be. But if you sit down in your restaurant, you pray over your food, and you're like, yes, I just conquered a hill for Christ. No, you didn't. You live in a free country. It's not that big a deal. If you put your dignity aside for 30 seconds to pray over your food, I mean, good, but let's not celebrate it like you died on the cross, okay? Does that belittle anybody? I don't want you to feel belittled. I just want to say that sometimes we put like this, this tiny little step that we've made a thousand times, but oh, I, somebody from my school is in the restaurant. If they see me praying, they'll know I'm a Christian. Oh, again. I feel like I need to repeat it again because I'm being a little sarcastic and over the top, a little extra, but what? Just be stirred up. But I just don't want anybody to feel offended too much, too much, too much. Some of y'all are sensitive. Some of y'all are happy little snowflakes, so I just need to make sure. But let's be honest, those things aren't that hard. So, then it asks, then we got to ask the question, well, what does Jesus mean? What is Jesus actually saying when he says it's vigorous and requires total attention? What does Jesus mean? In verse 21 of that same chapter, Jesus says, knowing the correct password... Or saying, Master, Master, saying Jesus, or admitting you're a Christian, for instance, is not going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. Serious obedience. Following Jesus means completely restructuring the way you think, the way you act, the way you perceive. It requires starting from scratch when you choose to follow him. John 3 Jesus is talking to a guy who is kind of going through the same process He he was a religious guy. He knew all the traditions He knew all the stuff that the church or the temple or the religious society had told him was good behavior Or was the way to christ and the guy realizes that that stuff's not that important and he's sitting with jesus And he's asking jesus help me understand this. What do I really need to know? What's really important and in john chapter 3 jesus says this Because he's trying to figure it out and he's and he doesn't get it And Jesus said, you can put it up there. I'm just waiting on you. Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. What I like there, there's a lot there, but one of the things I want to point out to you that I think is cool, he says, the wind hovering hovering over the water creation. He's referring to Genesis 1. In the very beginning of the Bible, and some of you that have been around church probably have heard this, in the very beginning of the Bible, the very first verse of the very first book of the very first chapter says, in the beginning God created the what? Heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the what? And the earth was formless and without void. And the spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep. So when in this verse, when he says, no, go back one. Sorry, I'm just throwing curveballs at Ruth. It's okay. Right there. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, that word wind is the same as spirit. So the spirit hovering over the water creation, what he's saying is for you to truly follow christ it has to start just like it did at the beginning of time when the earth it says god created it and then it was without void or without form it was void there was nothing there except the spirit and from that point god could build it when you choose to follow christ you have to choose to start from scratch there can be nothing in your life your life has to be formless with or void and without form so that the Holy Spirit can start from scratch. See, the problem is sometimes we get into church and we have a moment where we feel like, okay, this Jesus thing seems legit. There's, there seems like there's gonna be some cool stuff here. Awesome, I kind of wanna do this. The problem is we say that and maybe we mean it about 75%. But there's this 25% of our life that we don't wanna let go of. God is saying to fully allow me to create you into who I meant for you to be, you've got to have 100% of yourself committed to this. And yet we wanna pull like old habits or behaviors or acceptance or popularity. And we wanna be like, I 75% wanna be a Christian when I'm at church and places where it's safe to be a Christian. But 25% of me still wants to be cool and keep the friends that I have. And if I take the whole 100% of God, then I'm gonna lose that 25%. Like, anybody, nobody's ever struggled with this, right? I'm just, just me? Okay, we'll just keep talking hypothetically then. So it requires us to start from scratch. Have you ever seen the show Fixer Upper? Probably not because y'all aren't 30 year old like housewives, but my wife loves Fixer Upper. I'm just kidding, that wasn't a shot at, at anybody. Yeah, Christy loves the show Fixer Upper. If you don't know what that is, it's on HGTV. Ask your mom, ask your mom, she'll tell you. Anyway, so there's this show where it's called Fixer Upper, where guess what they do? They fix up old houses, right? It's super clever in the titling. But basically, they go in, they find a house, and by the end of the show, they're going to rebuild this entire house into this amazing thing. And, and it seems like, there's five seasons or something, and it seems like as, as the show goes on, like, the before and the after gets crazier. Like, in the first season, it was like a house that was okay, just a little outdated, and they, like, put some new paint and shiplap, whatever that is, up on the walls, and you know, some modern furniture. And it was like, look, in latter seasons, it's like, we're going to take this mobile home and turn it into a mansion. It's going to be amazing. Like they just completely do it. Anyway, the whole point of this, this is getting way off track. The whole point of, of the show though, what I think is interesting is every single house that I've ever seen them do. And if there's an exception, don't correct me. I don't remember them all, but I'm pretty sure every single house, they find out what they find the house. They put together a plan of what they're gonna do and then they go in and they gut the house. Chip calls it demo day. It's his favorite day and he's a nut bar and it's awesome. And he's like throwing bricks through walls and stuff because he's like, we get to demolish it. And then the day after demo day, they usually show it and it's nothing but studs. It's like a foundation and just wood studs. They completely change like the floor plan, which I think they call a footprint. I don't know why it's a floor plan. But anyway, they have to completely pull everything out Wipe it clean, no walls, nothing before they can rebuild it into something new. It's the exact same way with our lives. When God says yes, or not when God says yes, because he always says yes. When we say yes to God, he's like, cool, I'm all for it. But you got to know I got to gut everything out. I got to take everything out. Because if you, leave, if you leave one wall up there that's full of mold, and I put all these other new walls up, the whole house is going to be full of mold. Right. If you had one bedroom stay nasty and looking like it from 1954 and the rest of the house is in 2018, you're going to have that one little pocket of your room that, or house that still looks gross and outdated and out of place. Right. You following the parallel. Some of y'all are smart. The slower ones, you'll get there. It'll be all right. Uh, I didn't say who. Don't get offended. Following Jesus requires letting go of everything. He gave up everything for us. We can do the same for him. So what does that look like? And here's where I'm gonna wrap this up and then we're gonna apply it. What does that look like? I'm not asking, it's a rhetorical question. Just enjoy the pause. What does that look like? Number one, first thing you gotta know, like I just said, you gotta let go of everything. Let go of everything. If there's something in your life that is more important to you than following Christ, you're not following Christ. You're following it. And allowing Christ to come along with you. And that's hard. I get it. That's a harsh statement. I'm not saying you can't have things in your life, but I'm saying if they're more important to you than following Christ, then you're not following Christ. You're allowing Christ to follow you. Right? If if like man, I, I really love Jesus, but you know, I, I I I like popularity, I like the group of friends I have more than I like Christ. You're not there. And you can say, well, you know, I, I'm trying. Yeah, well, so were the religious people of Jesus' time. They were trying, they just were unwilling to let go. You have to submit everything to Him. Everything. Everything. And that's hard. And it's not an overnight deal. I get it, it's a process, but it has to be an overnight decision. It has to be, yes, I will. And now I need to figure out how to do that The decision is instant The process takes time Number one, you got to let go of everything The second thing you got to do Once you can get to that point Is you got to ask His Spirit to recreate you you got to ask His Spirit to recreate you Once you've let go of everything You've cleared it Once you've gutted the house And you're down to the studs Then you're like, alright God Where do I go from here? What's next? What do, I, what do I do? From the ground up, I got to move forward. But you can't until you got everything out. And the third thing, you got to do what God wants. I know that's super deep. Like, do what God wants. Duh. Now, that does not necessarily mean behave how all good Christians behave. I'm not saying don't behave like good Christians. This is confusing. But you understand what I mean? Like sometimes we go, oh, I have perfect attendance in church, I didn't cuss today. I didn't slap that kid whenever I really wanted to, so I'm a good Christian. Now, I'm, I'm saying do those things, or don't do those things. Like, don't cuss, or don't slap somebody, or don't do all those things. But it's more than that. You can't check those boxes and go, well, I'm a great Christian. You me? You can, but it's deeper than that. It's more than that. You got to do what God wants. And how do we know what that is? I'm glad you asked. We're actually going to dig into this next week. So, uh, you know, a little teaser. Come back next week and find out a little bit more about that. But we've got to do what God wants. And it starts with knowing what he wants. I know that was super deep, too. You should write that down. Sometimes uh, it's, it's hard to know. Like, we go, well, what does God want? Like, like, in church terms, it's like, well, I need to know God's will for my life. What does God will for my life? And we overcomplicate it and we're looking for this road map to like fall into our laps. Jesus gives us the road map. It's very simple. It's in Matthew 6. You'll see it on the screen. And if you're an intern, I've talked about this before, so this will be kind of redundant for you. But it says, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And you guys have probably heard this. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, you don't have to repeat after me, it's fine. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's God's will? For heaven to come to earth. That's it. Now you're like, oh, well, how do I do that? It's not as complicated. I don't mean the physical place. I don't mean like you need to like just start praying now that the physical place of heaven will become earth. That's not what I mean. It's for the things of heaven, for for God's supernatural to invade our natural. And that can look like a lot of different things. And I can't even pinpoint to you exactly what the next phase of that will look like, but I guarantee you if you start praying for it, you'll see the opportunities. Again, this is something we'll dig into because for time we're going to run out of time. But his will is that heaven comes to earth. And how do we know what that looks like? You just gotta ask. Sometimes we are so lost looking for answers. We never ask the person who has the, question, who has the answers. Like we just ask all these questions like, God, what is this? What is this? Why is that? And we never stop to listen for the answer. That's not my point. That was just a side note. I'm gonna wrap this up because I feel like we're kind of in a place where we can kind of do something with this. Jesus is is finishing up in Matthew chapter 7. And it says, When Jesus concluded his address, this this whole message that he'd been giving, the crowd burst into applause. Don't do that. The crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. Is it on the screen? There we go. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they'd ever heard. You guys know what that's like, right? I'm just kidding. So, I want you to notice something. It says, they burst into applause because it was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Not because of any... Like, that's the one thing they 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 pinpointed. It, they burst into applause because not only is he saying cool things, but he lives them. It should push you to a point where you got to ask yourself, is what you say how you live? If you were to get up and actually share... What you feel or how you feel about Christ, does your behavior match that? Would people get it? Would people be like, yeah, what she's saying, she lives. Or would people have the opposite? Would they be like, mm, I hear you say that, but I don't see you live that. You ever heard somebody say, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Sometimes that's how we live out our, our, our faith in Christ. We go, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we don't act like a Christian. It's just all going back to Naomi's spoken word. They say they... Christ-like, but they don't act like Christ. Okay. It's all, it's Naomi, it's, it's inspired. So, where do I leave off? There we go. Does your life, does your life reflect what you claim? See, the things we talked about are really the definition of following Jesus. And if those are the definitions, does your life reflect those? Jesus was strange. Are you strange? Now, some of you are. But not in the way that Jesus meant. What I mean is, does your, does your lifestyle seem different than everything else? Does the way you talk sound different than everybody else? Does the way you act look different than everybody else? Does the things you prioritize, focus on, care about, look different than everybody else? Jesus is dead. And if we say we are like Christ, then we should be the same. I'm not going to do it again, Naomi. (laughs) If, where we go? I lost my notes. There you go. So if your life doesn't reflect these things, then you might not necessarily be a Christ follower. You might just be religious. And the last time I checked, that's not the same thing. See, if living for Jesus isn't hard, as he said in the scripture, if it's not vigorous, requiring serious obedience, if it's not strange, then you may not be obeying or following Christ. If you're like, ah, it's pretty easy to be a Christian. I go to church on Wednesdays and some Sundays, and I, you know, own a Bible and pray over my food before I eat. Christianity is easy. Sounds like you're a little more, like, religious than Christ-like. You're following an internal feeling of security like, oh, I've checked these boxes, so I feel good about it. If you only act churchy enough to feel good about yourself, then you're missing the point. Jesus closes out in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Wraps up his talk, and it's after that verse there, Ruth. Jesus says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life or homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. Is your life strange? Not weird, not unusual, not, not, is it strange in the way Jesus was strange? If we say we are like Christ, I'm not doing it. If we say we are like Christ, does our life look strange like his did? And if we can say no, even 5%, percent we got to fix that. Now, my point tonight was not to invalidate or erase everything that you've ever done. You're like, I've been in church for my whole life, and it's just worthless. No, it's not. It's really not. That was not the point of tonight. But over and over again, guys, I feel like we get into this mode where we just feel like you know we're, we're doing great. You know I, I prayed this month. Um, you know I'm 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 doing better, and that's okay. And sometimes maybe it is we we go through difficult point, parts in our life, but I feel like we're missing the point that our entire life when we choose to be like Christ should be recalibrated. You know why Jesus seemed like a drifter? It's because while everyone else was getting up in the morning and going to to work or or had some specific routine, Jesus got up every morning and he went and said, all right, God, what are we doing today? Where am I going? One of my favorite stories is the woman at the well, and, and he goes to this well at an unusual time in an unusual place and talks to a woman who is a very unusual conversation to have. And I've read that story, and I've heard that story taught in church, and everybody focuses on, and rightly so, but they focus on what he does there. He talks to this woman, he calls her out, he knows her business, he changes her life, and she goes back and reaches her town, and it's a really cool story. But one of the things I've always wondered is, why her? Why then? How did Jesus know that? And, you know, I feel like for years, people just chalk it up to, well, he's Jesus, you know, he's God, he could do whatever he wanted. But that's not how Jesus, that's not why Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth to live with the restrictions of men to show us how we're supposed to live. So what I find is that Jesus got up in the morning and said, God, what are we doing today? And God said, I want you to go to this well at this time and there's gonna be a woman there. And if God talks to Jesus like he talks to me, he probably, that's all he said. Like, God never tells me, and you guys know if I've prayed for you before, God never tells me when I'm gonna pray for you until I get there, he never explains it. He's just like, go pray for Matthew. And I'm like what am I saying, God? And he's like, I didn't tell you that yet. Just go pray for Matthew. Do it and I'll tell you. And I'm like, okay. And so I get over to Matthew. I'm like, Matthew, I'm going to pray for you. And he's like, cool, what are you going to say? And I'm like, I don't know. God, what am I going to say? I usually take a minute and then he tells me. And God, if you've been in interns, we've talked through this before, but God usually tells me ridiculous stuff. Like I told Allie one time, she's a little mermaid. And I had no idea what that meant until I said it. And then God was like, here's the explanation. That's weird and maybe a little bit more advanced than where you're at right now. My point is, Jesus knew where to go and what to say because he stopped everything. He restructured his day, his life, his lifestyle to say, God, first, before I do anything else, I'm going to talk to you and ask you, what is the point? What am I doing today? What's our goal? What's our plan? And then he obeyed it. That's weird. I get up every morning, I, I like turn off my alarm. On the fifth snooze, I take a shower, I get dressed, I get the kids up, I get them to school, I come into the office. Like That's my purpose. That's the first thing I do in the morning. I actually, it bothers me now that now that I know this about Christ, it bothers me because I think, man, I don't get up every morning and ask God what we're doing today. I already have my own plans. I have my own thing. I have my own routine. And, And it put me in a place where I was like, have I scheduled God out of my day? Now, I'm not saying skip school. That, that was, if you're like taking that away from this, that's not what I'm saying. Put your hands down. I see you. I'm not saying skip school and just wander around the city like, God, who are we talking to? You know, I'm just going to wander in Walmart today and just pray for people. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we have to shift our mindset from I have to do the things I have to do and be at the places I have to be and oh yeah, God, you can come along too, right? Because that's how we live. I'm going to do all these things that are important to me and God, you can tag along. That's not right. It's God, what do you want me to do today? And I'll get this other stuff done too. And that's hard. It's weird. It's strange. But I am absolutely more and more convinced that if we don't first lock into what He has for us and what He's saying to us, then we miss it. How many days have gone by that we don't ask God anything about that day? How many women at the wells have we not ever talked to because we we didn't think about it? We didn't ask God. I hope this is challenging a little bit today because... I'm running out of time and I'm sweaty and I just feel like this is maybe just talking to myself. So here we go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up, right? Cause you can't get, you can't talk to God unless you're standing. That's not true. Uh-uh. And Trace, you know what? Will you come up? Let's scratch the whole band coming up. Let's just do Trace. I know we're just changing things on the fly. Holy Spirit's like that. He likes to mess my, my plans. I do like a whole order and like a printed, this is the way we're going to do things. And he's like, yeah, right. You thought, exactly. He does not email me. That would be cool. Like Gmail, get it? God, stupid. I told you there were more puns. It's fantastic. The Holy Spirit won't show up till Trace plays, so we'll just wait. I'm kidding. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I know, God can't talk to you unless your eyes are closed. Some of you, if you have the discipline to focus on God for a second with your eyes open, please feel free to. But if you don't, close your eyes. I'm a close my eyes kind of person because I'm way too distracted. Somebody walks and I'm like, ooh, where are they going? Or, you know, I notice the sound and I'm like, ooh, turn that up or turn that down or whatever. So I have to close my eyes and like basically shut my ears off. That's not a thing, but you know what I mean. But I want you to have just a second. And I want you to think about what I just talked about. Personalize it for a second. Where are you at with all of what I said? Maybe you're, you're I would say all of us probably are, but maybe you're, you're step one. I haven't let go of everything. There's still some stuff in my life that I'm hanging on to that is keeping me from being fully committed. I said at the beginning when we were in worship that the Holy Spirit didn't show up to the people in the book of Acts until they were in one accord, until they were unified and all together. And just as much as that is important for us as a group of people, it is important for you to be unified. There's lots of different principles that work in the Bible that talk about this. A house divided can't stand. A man can't serve two masters. There's all kinds of different things. You cannot have two masters Priorities in your life you cannot serve God and serve other stuff in your life you only serve one you might carry multiple things but only one's gonna get the focus and if God is not the focus I hate to tell you but you're missing it and I don't mean missing it like well you're going to hell no like I mean maybe but that's not even what I mean Maybe maybe I'm just maybe I'm just like like too distracted to think that far out. But I'm really just talking about here and now. Life today is so much harder if you're not living it how you were meant to live. I mean, there there are people, and maybe you're maybe you're one of them. I don't know. There are people who go through life, and every day is so filled with stress and anxiety and worry. And anger and bitterness and hopelessness and all of these things that's just crushing. I don't know how you survive that. And many people don't for very long. The one of the amazing things about submitting to Christ, about choosing to be a Christian, is step number one that we just talked about. Letting everything go Now that seems hard when you look at all the stuff you want to keep You go I don't want to let go of this I don't want to let go of this But do you also realize that means you get, you get to Let go of your anxiety You get to let go of your stress You get to let go of your worry So maybe your, your days are filled with that kind of garbage God is saying let that go You don't have to worry about it anymore You don't have to carry that and you're like, well, if I don't carry that, what do I carry? Nothing. And that's what's weird. That's what's so strange. We, we don't even know how to, like, grasp that. I just said that, and half of you are like, well, I don't know what my life would look like if I didn't have anxiety all the time. What do I do? Just not worry? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that strange? Ah, see, full circle. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know how to live my life without anxiety. I don't know how to live my life stressed out, not stressed out about everything. I don't know how to live my life if I'm not angry all the time when I'm at school or bitter. That's great. You're not supposed to. God will show you. It's only after you have lost everything, let go of everything, that you are free to gain everything. Jesus said it like this, whoever is willing to lose their life will gain their life. And that seems like a weird statement. Like, I I don't see what you did there, God. Like, lose my life to gain my life? Yeah, he meant that. You've got to let go of everything. And in doing so, he will give you everything. Everything you need, are created to be, and are meant and destined for. We are created to be the children of God. Not some spooky, ooh, I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. I don't mean it like that. I mean, I guess those are true. But I mean it, it's more than that. It's more than a song that you sing. So many Christians are focused on if I live right, then I'll get to heaven. Great, one day I'll get there. But that's not like the end goal. Like I do the right things to make it to heaven. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven today. I got other stuff to do. Like if I'm like, make the heaven. I don't want to die right now. That was weird. I know. But what I mean is in the meantime, I'm not just biding my time until one day I go to heaven. Like, okay, I'm going to do my best to not sin so that whenever I do die, I go to heaven. No. In the meantime, I'm going to do everything like he said to bring heaven here. I'm going to try to bring love into this world joy into this world peace into this world healing into this world what are the qualities of heaven life happiness encouragement I'm going to do everything I can to be a portal for his spirit to enter this world and affect the people around me when you walk into your schools into the store into the wherever you go you have the ability to usher to bring in life what are you doing with your time? Why are we still carrying the things we carry? When God says, let all of that go and just be me, be life to the world around you. It's the single most powerful, rewarding, encouraging thing you can do with your life. And more than that, it's freeing and it Will bring more joy and fulfillment to your life than anything else will in this world, and it can look like a variety of things. It can fit different people in different ways. But until you accept this thing and you start running with it, you're always going to wrestle with it. There's people that grapple with this kind of stuff for decades. You have the opportunity here and now in this room at eight nineteen on a Wednesday, April. What are we? Eleventh. 2018 to shift your life, your mindset, your perception, your focus, and become strange. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more from Relentless, hit subscribe or check us out on Instagram or Facebook.